97 Acts, the Future of Rock and Roll, and that was The Cure. Uh, before that, we heard from uh, Meat Beat Manifesto, and we got things started off with Meat Puppets. It's definitely a, a carnivore day here at 97X. Uh, don't forget, coming up tonight at 6, it's the People's Choice Countdown with their own Carrie Gray. Uh, for some odd reason, every song on the People's Choice Countdown is about coffee. I don't know why that is. But that's uh, coming up uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, brought Dave. to you by Dickerson Distribution. Dave. Yes? D- yeah. it, it, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I would yeah. love to hear that coffee six-pack. That would be fantastic. Uh, Unfortunately, yeah. you don't work at 97X anymore, nor do I. I don't? No. Uh-uh. We do a yeah. podcast about the station. It uh, it signed off long ago, but it still exists in the hearts and minds of, of faithful listeners. So what do you mean? I was just at a Royal Crescent Mob show. Well, it was a big deal. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to dance around that one. But no, yeah. Dave. Uh, uh, the thing is, you also mentioned uh, Mr. Kerry Gray uh, doing the six pack, uh, and and he is is no longer with us. He has departed. He got his celestial discharge. But we do have a few folks here that that worked alongside Kerry. We have Mike Taylor, Phil Manning, Jeff Roars, and Julie Maxwell here joining us to talk about the man, the myth, the legend of Kerry Gray. So, Phil, why don't you start things off and, and see if you can describe the freak of human nature that was Kerry Gray. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to do that, but you do it much better. Uh, I remember a man constantly in a good mood, always smiling. Uh, he definitely embodied the bay luggage of uh, barrier troubles privately and patiently because he had some uh, trials and tribulations in the couple of years that I knew him while he was at Waxie. So I think he was the, he was the PD post Jetson, right? Yes. Uh, Jetson, Jetson left in like, I don't know, September of 88. And then they named me the acting program director for 90 days or so. And while they recruited... Uh, and then Kerry came in, what, late, late 88, early 89, I guess. Um, and he was, a, uh, he was a, shy, a, a bright, quick star. He was only there for, what, a year and a half? Two years uh, yeah, I mean, he hired me two months in, maybe, to his tenure. Um, was he, you know, so did he have programming experience before coming? Do you know? I think, yeah, yeah, he, I think he came from EQX in, in Manchester, Vermont. That is correct. You're right. right. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. You go on to the bonus round, Phil. <laughs> Thank you. So, Julie, were you working there already when Carrie came on board like Phil? And Jeff, were you already there too? I was there when, when he arrived. And uh, I was not only there when he was arrived, I was there when he was interviewing uh, and that was one of my most infamous moments on air because I was doing the God Squad and had no idea anybody else was in the station and uh, happened upon Mr. K's uh, comedy album stash and decided that, uh, hey, you know, nobody's really listening except my friends. Maybe I should play this uh, Leonard Nimoy singing Proud Mary off of Golden Throats right now. And so I put that on. And uh, the phone lines lit up like I'd never (laughs) seen before. People with all sorts of positive comments. What is this? This is hilarious. And then the door to the studio flew open and a frothing Doug Baylog yelled, what the hell is this? And asked me if it was on the playlist, to which I said, well, it's it's back here. He goes, but is it on the playlist? I said, no. And he said, never do that again. And closed the door. And it turned out he was there interviewing Carrie. 
and uh, and and Carrie hired Carrie hired me um, also. Um, I went in to meet with him, and by the time I uh, was done, I left with about you know four albums, six cassettes, a couple of T-shirts, and uh, anything else that wasn't nailed down from the uh, from the prize closet. You know, for the uh, for the uh, big big prize of uh, working a couple hours on a weekend. Right, and three thirty-five an hour. <laughs> If that, Something which like was that. which really was tertiary and meaningless, because uh, we got to work no, there, right? Exactly. Uh, man, uh, it was. It, I would have done it regardless. And so, then, so Carrie um, recommended me for music director, which uh, uh, was uh, Doug signed off on, and I, I remember my face hurting on a daily basis from laughing so much at that man, uh, a guy who didn't need any coffee but drank literally pots of it. He was an amazing ball of energy. That's that's I I just remember about Carrie feeling like could never ever keep up with him. Just just never. He always operated on such a high um, you know, just such a high caliber. And he um he subbed for the Breakfast Club more than once when Bake would go on vacation or or if he was um with with Miami for playoffs or um, or anything like that. And he'd, he'd get there. I try to get there early, but he'd get there an hour before me, He'd open up that door and he'd have like a donut or a bagel and a cup of coffee on the floor, just ready and, and waiting for when I, when I walked into the station and, um, you know, from, from there, 558 newscast, uh, he hit the ground running and just never, ever stopped until 10 a.m. So he hired me. I said, why did you hire me? Because I was working at a uh, like a hot AC station overnights in Springfield, Ohio, but I was living where I could listen to 97X. And one of my overnights, I said, you know, from Frank Sinatra, from the greasiest hair in show business to the stiffest hair in show business, it's James Brown here at WIZE. He said, I heard that and I was sold. I had to hire that guy. <laughs> And I was there for two months doing weekends. I was Disco Dave. And then uh, things got shuffled around again. And Phil, I think, was doing overnights. And then I, f I followed Phil doing overnights full time. Yeah, I think I, went to, I think I went to afternoons because of uh, my music director duties. Uh, for a while, I was doing music director and overnights. And three days a week, I was, you know, going to bed at six or seven and getting back in the office at noon. And I lost the plot after a while. I had no yeah. sleep. <laughs> Um, but I mean, Carrie was way, way, way into the music as we all were, but he was top notch with, with that. In fact, he was so into Elvis Costello that he named his kid Declan. Carrie and I, uh, there was a bar down the street from the station. I know I've asked you guys this before. I can't remember the name of it. But anyways, him and I went to that bar and we must have spent five, six, seven hours there. And that's when we kind of redid the whole uh, card catalog. And we expanded the library to try and encompass the, the, the history of what we thought was alternative, uh, modern rock, you know, where we'd add in a Velvet Underground. We tried to go back to what, you know, the, what we thought was the beginning around then. I remember there was a bunch of Roxy music that wasn't in, uh, some punk rock that we, uh, that we threw in, you know, maybe we grabbed it from Robin Plan's catalog. Uh, and that's when we created the whole uh, ultra core, core, Young Seed uh, scenario, and I, I th those are uh, those are fond days. Those are those wasn't are, wasn't it the great. two of you that that also came up with the whole idea of the modern rock five hundred? I swear to God, it was you and Carrie. Uh, uh memory fades. Uh, it may well have been. Yes, 
I, I really believe it, it was, was it was you and Carrie. And, yeah. and I remember what was his dog's his dog's name was Bowie, right? Was his dog's name Bowie? Can't remember and his, that either. And I remember I remember him talking about the only time I ever saw him frustrated or, you know, like at his wit's end was he had all of these papers on the on the um, spread out in his living room that he was trying to get the modern rock 500, the 500, you know, all five, all 500 to one. And he had it all, it was all done longhand on paper and he had it checkerboard style on his, on his, and the dog kept walking, walking across it and screwing it all up. Now I don't know if the dog did anything else to the papers, but, um, but I do, God, that's just a, such a vivid memory of this, of this thing, um, you know, starting to come together. When was the first modern rock 500? Was I that believe like 1989? There you go. That would have been Gary then. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and he was into, and I know he was into the Indy 500. He went to that every year. He yeah. went with me oh. one year with Bubba the Love Sponge. That's right. I got I got a picture somewhere that I'll I'll pull up for this podcast of Bubba the Love Sponge, me and Carrie, and it's May in the Midwest, and he's drinking a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> well, hey, Phil Manning, how you doing? I know, exactly. Am I correct that he, he was responsible for giving Bubba the Love Sponge that name? Wouldn't surprise that, me. I thought that was part of the, the lore that uh, that he he gave him that name later because uh, of what a what a magnet he was personality wise at parties or something. Hmm. No, I didn't know that. But that connection is crazy. Now, now Mike, what yeah. was he like air checking? Do you remember having an air check with Carrie? No, not not really. Uh, to be honest with you, what I remember the most about Carrie is when he would call me up to try to, you know, talk me into taking a sh an extra show on the weekend. You know, this was back in the days when everybody had a, um, you know, like a, a telephone answering machine, you know, in you know at their home. So I would get home, you know, the light would be flashing, and I'd figure out, hey, Mike, this is uh, Carrie Gray. Um, hey, we had a little movement around here this weekend, and somebody's dog ran away and isn't able to come <laughs> in. So um, yeah, I was just wondering if you could, you know, possibly give me a call, you know, and maybe you could do the, um, you know, uh, 8 to Midnight show tonight. It would be really great. So uh, give me a call. Bye. You know, and it would, and his voice, and, and, and his voice would just basically roller coaster. You know, you know, as either the drugs kicked in, you know, or whatever it was. Just um, what? Uh, but um, you know, because at the time, you know, I was on the weekends. You know, I would only see folks so often. So uh, you know, I, I do remember uh, what you guys said. He was uh, uh, just an incredible amount of energy. But uh, that was. Uh, my biggest memory was uh, all of his uh, voice messages trying to get me to work more. And thanks for the reminder about. Boy, 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 boy. <laughs> I also remember going. You and you and he lived together, Phil. No, I lived with uh, I lived with Jeffy Boy. Uh, he was married. Remember? Yeah, that's right. So was it your apartment that we would do the music meetings? Because I was yeah. just working overnight. So if I was in. We would head over. I remember listening to Sinead O'Connor, and nothing compares to you for the first time there. Uh, a couple other songs. So, so you guys would have the amusing meetings at your place. Yes, and they were uh, three and four hours long at least. Yeah, yeah. Because my my parents for uh, Christmas of '88 bought me a, a stereo because I didn't have one, uh, and I don't think he had a I don't think he had a, a good stereo. Uh, so he'd always so he'd always come over to my house. You know, being at the station could be distracting. You know, uh, distraction is job one when you're a manager and embracing that distraction. 
Um, and we wanted to be, you know, we wanted to respect the music most as, most as possible. And those meetings were long. And, I also remember the first time I got to know Julie Maxwell. Uh, I'd already known you from the music meetings, but, you know, I didn't know Julie that well. Was Carrie and his wife hosted a Super Bowl party at his house. Dar went. Brett was there. I know Julie was there. Phil Barr might have been there. Um, that went late into the evening. I remember that. Yeah, I do remember, uh, you know, he went through a divorce while he was at, uh, at the station mm-hmm. um, and he was pretty candid and open about that, about um, finding a letter behind his bed, uh, behind the bedpost. Uh, it was a letter to from I think his, what his wife's name was Leanne. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To uh, her lover, lover, dude. And he was pretty shaken up about that, but he really never showed it in the station. He was always just for the music, for the people, you know, for, for us. And, you know, he's just a, a great support system, you know? And then I think, what did he go to Buffalo or something after that? After yeah. He went that? to Buffalo. He was in Hawaii, then Vermont. Cause you're right. I remember him talking about Hawaii. Yeah, I remember, I remember K-Poi. He went to, yeah. he went, it wasn't it. And wasn't that a startup too? He didn't, he, I thought he built that from, from scratch as well. Or yeah. K-Poi was just barely on the map and, and right. Carrie went out there and, and took it over. In uh, I left Waxy in uh, December of 94. I started at the end in Cleveland in January 95. And he was in Buffalo. And he uh, took the bus down uh, from Buffalo. And uh, he became the station voice at the end. Because he always had, you know, uh, next to Bake, had probably had the best pipes at the station. Yeah. And I wrote several pages of script, and it was the outtakes that made the radio <laughs> more oh than the scripted God. stuff. Uh, so he took the bus down, and then we spent probably four hours in a studio. And I thought it—I, I mean, I'm—you know—I thought it made the station sound that much better. But that's the—and I—I and I tried to pay him; he wouldn't take a penny, and that's—that was just how he was. I—I uh, uh, I might have paid for his bus trip, but that's about it. Now, the last time I ever saw him, and, and this is not in person, I uh, searched for him on YouTube 15 years ago when YouTube was first starting out, and he was in Canada working at a radio station, and he was completely bald, and he was doing a morning show, you know, fun thing where someone was grabbing him and throwing him shirtless across a slip and slide into a bunch of, like, plastic <laughs> bowling pins. And I was like... That's Carrie. Uh, then I don't know the history of him, but then I found out from you, Phil, that he had passed away a, a few years ago from brain cancer. Uh, yeah, um, I think he went from Canada to a, an AM station in Red Wing, Minnesota. It was one of those kind of hodgepodgey things, like Waxy was. That was, you know, a real local station that would it, was do, it would do sports, and I, I think it was like I think it was like seventies soul. As a format, it was an AM station. I mean, this guy just loved radio. Mm-hmm. Prior to, I had talked to him probably six months prior to that, and I go, "What's going on, Carrie?" He goes, oh, "I start working at a bank on Monday." I'm like, oh no, oh no, Poor guy. Oh, no. <laughs> oh no. And I think he lasted at the bank for a hot minute, and then he went to he went to Minnesota. But he, oh, I think at the end of the day, he was married to radio more 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 than anything. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, he had a uh, brain, t- I think he had glioblastoma, and it, he didn't last long uh, after that. Um, but it always seemed up-tempo. It was just like, yeah, whatever. It is what it is. How you doing, Phil Manning? Always yeah. deflected away from himself. Yes. Always, mm-hmm. wanted, always asked about you. 
I really think he influenced 97X for years after his little burst of being in there. Not just the people he hired. You know, Mike stayed around till the end. Um, you know, you 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 became programmer after him, but you guys were doing music meetings together. But just kind of his attitude was great, and I think it really reflected to the station long after he was gone. Well, one of the things he was also wildly creative too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, just wildly creative. And and I, the Modern Rock Five Hundred really is one of his true legacies. But I don't know if any of you guys remembered when he did um, the Veterans of Modern Rock on Veterans Day. Do y'all mm -hmm. remember that? Because um, there was a there was a handful, maybe a dozen or so, of of people that he credited of being really the the veterans of modern rock, and it was the Clash and you know and REM, and and everyone had you know two or three of these veterans that we were to do you know a little bio on, play some music, give a little history, and he would play it at the top of the hour, and the thing uh, on Veterans Day, November um, November eleventh. So the thing that I remember is, you know, Veterans Day is a Monday. So that weekend, everyone was in the station. We were all like writing furiously, taking turns in the in the studio on a reel to reel machine, putting putting all that stuff together and then, you know, putting it on carts and labeling everything. And a few uh, beers had made it into the station. Do you remember this? So, you know, because we're all sitting there, we're all waiting for our turn in the studio where, you know, we're writing and drinking and chatting and doing a little more writing and a little more drinking. And the beers didn't made their way into the garbage cans, but the garbage cans didn't make it out of the station. And Doug found it. And that was a that was a big old thing the next few days of of like, you know, where did they come from and who is doing this and who's partying? And we're like. You know, and we were there deep, deep into the evening, two, three o'clock in the morning, and when people finally wrapped up with their with their little mini bios. From a personality, a, a, a jock personality perspective, I think Carrie picked up from the mantle uh, after from Mr. K. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. From that, you know, that yeah. just cartoonish yeah. perspective. And then Dave, you took, and then Dave, and then it went right into Dave. Yeah, because he was an influence on me big time. Oh, he was great. Uh, I just, you know, Phil, I think you you started it off in the way I remember. Just always happy, smiling, positive, you know, just in a, a source of energy. And, uh, you know, as, as we're now, you know, how many decades on from that experience of working with him, you, you have more people you've worked with in life and you realize what an incredible asset that is to any organization, let alone a radio station where, you're making three thirty-five an hour, and uh, you know, living off of whatever you can string together, and free CDs and concerts and that kind of stuff. And so, I just remember that. I remember air checks with him were always pleasant. I was trying to remember, like, if there were any shows that that uh, I went to that he was also at. You guys might might recollect some live music with Carrie better than I would. Was there anything that any good stories from going to shows with him at all? Yeah, I can't remember myself. I didn't go, you know, first cup with Carrie, um, I probably didn't go to a lot of shows with him because I did do the overnight. So getting to a show and then getting back in time was a little dicey. Do you now, remember when he voice tracked, when he voice tracked his show so we could go to Riverbend? And I think it was to see the replacements. Yep. 
And that's and, what I remember about Carrie is he just did it. That's he just, power. He just did it and then worried about the consequences later and always seemed to always seemed to land on his on his feet. And I yeah. gotta credit that with that, with his just his personality and his sunny disposition and his, you know, overall positive outlook, I, I think got him out of more more than one scrapes with uh, with with the Falcon. Did he write? <laughs> he, he did like to poke the bear. That's for sure. Yeah, he sure did. Um, so, did he write the Did he write the lyrics to the Petty Show, or did you that? Did, did you, Dave? No, it was him. He did the Petty Show it. lyrics. Yes. Yeah. And you voiced it, right? Yeah, that was my. Uh, oh, that was yours. <laughs> That and any more so we needed, Phil was the guy we called on. Um, the other, another thing I remember about Carrie is the suffix "ige," A-G-E. Yeah. Yes. He would incorporate into literally everything "ige." Uh, well, that so started so the baloggages. That started the baloggages because he was always saying "a," and then Doug created the adages as a little. And he tribute. renamed them. Yes. Yeah. We did a six pack of edges, didn't we? Yeah, you have the. You still have the card in your your book. That's right. You I got still... a, I got a really nice uh, going away book, and the card is in there. Um, I'm gonna have to go grab it, and I'll send you guys a picture of. Oh no, it's just a picture of the the typed. Uh, it doesn't typed... have what the songs were. I don't remember what the songs were. Do you guys remember? No, but it was all. But it was you know coming up. It's the adages featuring you know the Cure or whatever. I don't know who they were, but yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the songs. Uh, we would be remiss with him skirting the law because he almost burned down the station when his car caught on fire in the parking lot. Oh, that's, oh my gosh. <laughs> Remember? Oh my God. Yes. That's the biggest Carrie Gray story of all time. Mm -hmm. We have pictures of he and Bret I... Hart's climbing on the burning hulk of it somewhere. I know Damien's got those. I've got what? pictures of the, of the aftermath. I've got pictures what? of the wreckage. What was the cause? Just sitting. overheated or something? Carrie had so much coffee. Carrie had so much coffee. He was vibrating so hard. The car just, you know, felt friction. friction. <laughs> felt friction. Yeah, right there. That was it like was a Chevette. A Chevette, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. was, it, was it like lime green? Yes, it was. And it caught on fire. Yeah. And the other thing of poking the bear was Carrie ruined it for every program director since he left. We didn't have any free food to go to Skipper's because he would waste all the money for skippers, like, you know, the, the trade advertising in two nights at skippers at the beginning of the month. And he would still go back. And I remember Doug lighting into him with the door shut in his little office about the skippers issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I know it was the, it was the Cary gray car fire that um, forever made that first, parking spot the visitor spot yes did you know that so no. all of our Had all of buffer. our crap cars got moved down one space to uh, keep the building safe so oh, but man. phil did you julie you mentioned he voice tracked it so he pre-recorded his breaks so he yeah. you know and had somebody else to get put him on a re recorded cart cartridge cart we called it uh so somebody could play the breaks as if he were still there so he did that yeah. for replacements and phil did you play those carts or not can't recall that. Yeah, because he, he did the yeah. same thing to me when I was a did weekender because he? he was the one that brought me on. And, and he went to the Rolling Stones. Living Color was opening up for the Rolling Stones at Riverfront 
stadium, I guess. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, just, and it was like my second time ever in the station. I'd done maybe an airship with somebody else or sat in, but he's like, yeah, just play this. And in this one, I numbered it one, two, three or whatever, you know, so he <laughs> could get an hour ahead start on driving down to Cincinnati. That traffic's going to be bad. Just play it. It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. And then he's, he left. I was supposed to sit in with him, and it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> oh Early voice tracking. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. He's ahead of his time. Me a flashback. Did we have a note on the board about grounding yourself in the winter because the static electricity <laughs> mm-hmm. would probably yeah. short out? Yes. Yes. Yep. Wow. That's a flashback. Everything would turn on or off. Yeah. Oh, God. Do you remember that? In the old was studio. It? In the Scott old Star. studio with the was dials. Yeah. Wasn't there some kind of anti-static spray yes. that you had to like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. You always had to touch something metal. <laughs> right. And the carpet, the carpet on the floor, the walls everywhere. You're right, Mike. There was that spray. There was definitely uh, oh, a spray. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and also, Carrie was the one who took us from the vinyl to the CD era, too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they started, uh, they started proliferating around then. Yeah, and then uh, as it was mentioned in an earlier podcast, that uh, well, that station probably went through what four hundred CD players because <laughs> we would just get the residential CD players, and those would those would. I go. also want to honor Carrie because wasn't he the wise musical sage who brought Prince to ninety seven X's shores? Yep. Yes. Yep. Because yep. I remember there was a blip where we played. Uh, some stuff off of uh, a couple of Prince albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also um, uh, would in- introduce us to uh, flinging twelve inches across the parking lot. <laughs> some crappy <laughs> band that some crappy band that we'd never play. <laughs> I, that sounded like a band flinging twelve inches across the parking lot. Love their stuff. <laughs> Only their early EPs before they went major That's label. Right. Make, tell, share your your memories of Carrie Gray. Carrie Gray was uh, just a, a, a unique individual. I mean, he was a true radio guy, old school radio guy, if you know what I mean. I mean, he just loved being on the air. Uh, my favorite memory of him is every time he introduced me to do a newscast, it was, here's Steve Baker and the news. I mean, every time. And I, I had to follow that with reading the damn news. Um, you know, and, you know, we went to his wedding reception in Terre Haute and I met Bubba the Love Sponge. I mean, and and that guy as his best friend is pretty much a description of what Cary Gray was all about on the air. He was just a freak of nature. It's Cary Gray. Cary Irie Gray. Pretty, pretty wild stuff going on in San Francisco. Well, first, we have, like, the A's winning two games right off the uh, bat. You don't have to tell them that. They know that. All right. And then now they're back at <laughs> Candlestick. They're at home, the Giants. But what you maybe do not know is that there's an earthquake in San Francisco. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And Rick well, Russell must have sat on the dugout or something. <laughs> Roseanne Barr. Chewing her gum again. Too hard. No, it's not crazy there's an earthquake in uh, San Francisco, California, Carrie. Because it happens often. Like but it. when it, you know... Knocks off the uh, World Series. The quake knocked the World Series broadcast off the air for a period. It's still off, I guess. And it hit, uh, what, just 5 uh, five p.m. California time. Felt sharply at Candlestick Park, it says here on our hot-off-the-wire presses, where, you know, they're, they're playing. They're getting ready to meet. Uh, it says the reports of power outages. Outages. <laughs> outages. 
in downtown San Francisco. The power is still out, and buildings appear to sway several feet back and forth. So. All of the uh, network television and radio feeds are now dead because the trucks were uh, victims of the of the quake, shaking, yeah. of the quakeage, of the quakeage. Right. <laughs> well, we were watching the TV. I flipped on to see the Giants, and then there's that huge, fat, bodacious <laughs> Roseanne chewing on her cow cud. <laughs> And the big guy that's in all the Talking Heads movies, John Goodman, was there, too. He's, He's taking all you know the what? abuse. David Byrne wears John Goodman's suits. <laughs> kind of like Same a, as it ever was. you got like a, a coat and a suit with a hanger still in it. <laughs> the giant those shoulders. Are, those are John Goodman's clothes. Either that or Roseanne's. Roseanne's a big <laughs> Giants fan. She's a big Giants fan. I, I a saw big her. Giants fan. She's a big one. <laughs> but anyway. So I shouldn't say that because what my first actual uh, negative being anti-TV that we are. I hate TV. I do too. It sucks. But my first, my first <laughs> attitude was because you heard what NBC did. NBC uh, against the Cubs, the NL playoffs, showed the pregame, mm-hmm. and then showed their precious little award-winning Nielsen stroke show, Cosby, and then went to the game like missing almost a first pitch. That's right. Very close because the cause had to be on. Yes, yeah, so that's what I thought happened with Roseanne, and then they showed our coverage. Has been, <laughs> that has been lost because of the earthquake. So I don't know how serious if it hurt anybody or did they didn't give you a figure. No, of, there's uh, no no injuries here on the uh, like. No. All right. Well, we'll keep you informed. Yeah, there might be something soon, but I don't know. I think the whole cause is probably the Roseanne thing. Chewing <laughs> her gum again. Ninety-seven X. I'm taking our music to the next level. Guitar rock utilizing nihilist grunge energies. Or as I call it, grunge. Rumblings from the big bush.